Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, welcome to a very happy edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast as the Brooklyn Nets get a nice victory against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think I'm going to do every time the Nets play a midweek game that I know we're going to spend 30 seconds talking about the next day on the air. You know, Joe's a good sport. How many times over the years has Joe, after a net win or a net loss, opened the show like he's throwing me a bone by saying, bro, you know, so your basketball team had this great win or, oh, this bad, what a terrible loss. And then, you know, I talk about it for two minutes and then I feel guilty because I know that most of the audience is thinking who cares about the Nets. So... I guess this is an outlet. This is an outlet to talk about the Nets for as long as I want. Get the hell out of here. Post it. If 13 people want to download it, great. If nobody wants to download it, great. If 1,000 people want to download it, it, it doesn't matter. So I think this is an outlet uh, for me as a Brooklyn Net fan, knowing out of respect to the New York market, not that many people care about them. Uh, before we get to this game, a convincing third quarter really with the difference in this game against the Cavs I got to start with Richard Jefferson because today was Richard's debut as a game analyst we've seen him in the studio and he's done a fine job getting on I think it was Spencer Dinwiddie for not just heaving up threes with less than a second to go in a half or a quarter because they don't want to ruin their field goal percentage today we saw him next to Iron Eagle and I know it's only his first game I know there's a lot of growth but Damn, he was awesome. First of all, I, and here's what I think made Richard Jefferson awesome. He didn't give an F, you know? He didn't care. I, I got the sense that he wasn't trying to be anything other than him, the dude that literally walked out of a locker room a couple of weeks ago, it seems, and said, I'm retiring. And I think what helped, what made this broadcast so good is the fact that he played for Cleveland, so he played with so many of these guys. And look, as we go around the league, as he calls more and more games, he's been the teammate of so many different people because look at the way he's bounced around the league and look at the way guys have bounced around the league. So Richard Jefferson right now, outside of the rookies, has played with everybody and has played against everybody. And I found it enjoyable. Like, there was one moment that I laughed out loud about. And I think it was when Kyle Korver had picked off an errant pass. And Jefferson says, <laughs> I love Kyle, but if he picks off a pass, it had to be telegraphed. <laughs> and maybe it's not that funny. You know, maybe you're listening to it right now and you're saying, yeah, it's not that funny. I think just in the heat of the game it is because it's different. You know, you usually don't hear that out of a broadcast. 
And for any Ned fan listening right now, I mean, I assume that's the only people who are listening right now, you have to admit the best part of his broadcast tonight was when he talked about destroying the Knicks. And when I think back to the Jason Kidd era, the Richard Jefferson era, for the sake of this, one of the things I think about, besides back-to-back NBA Finals, you know, the, the brutal series loss to the Pistons, really the end of that run as the team that we knew it in that 2004 season in the Eastern Conference semifinals when they blew Game 6 at home and then got destroyed in Game 7. Jason Kidd was on one leg after they won that crazy Game 5. Besides the playoff moments and the greatness of Jason Kidd, I think of the way they annihilated the Knicks. And I think of just the joy that I got as a fan that I think Net fans got in not just beating the Knicks, not just beating them, but taking their soul. The Nets took the Knicks' soul during that run. And what I get so much joy out of is not me saying it. You know, who cares if I said it? I'm a fan. Of course I think that. Most Net fans think that. But hearing Richard Jefferson, who is a part of the team, and I'm going to misquote him here, but they were talking about how Monday they're at Madison Square Garden. I'll be in the building, too. I'm pumped up. I love going to Knicks Nets at the Garden. There's less pressure than Knicks Nets in Brooklyn or New Jersey. But he said, oh, yeah, Monday, Knicks Nets at the Garden. Oh, I used to love that because we would go in there and just destroy them. And then he throws this in. And after we destroyed them, we'd go destroy their city. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what he actually meant. Maybe it meant they were just getting completely wasted in every bar in Manhattan. I'm not sure. But the way he said it was awesome. I I very much enjoyed that. All right, let's get to this game. A uh, couple of things. Coming into this game, I felt it was important to win because of what's coming up. They're obviously one and two. The loss against Indiana was just ugly on every level. Uh, they played a miserable second half against the Pacers. They let the game slip away. I thought that Pacer game slipped away on a no-call. Actually, not a no-call. It was a Karras Levert N1 that they screwed up and called an offensive foul. And I thought that play in the game changed all the momentum. And the Nets get it, end up getting blown out on a back-to-back against Indiana. Against the playoff team. You figured that was coming. But they had all these days off. They didn't play Sunday. They didn't play Monday. They didn't play Tuesday. They're in Cleveland against the Cavaliers, a Cav team that's off to a bad start. They came into this game 0-3. They had just lost to Atlanta in their own building. And when you look at this week in New Orleans against the Pelicans, which is just a – you didn't hear anything. uh, The Pelicans, which is just a terrible matchup, having to deal with a guy like Anthony Davis, a team that killed them last year. I think they played an over – did they play an overtime game against Pelicans last year? They lost twice to them, I remember, and Anthony Davis had just a couple of filthy performances against them. But I think from a matchup standpoint, I think Miritich and Davis are going to be a pain in the ass to deal with. I think it's a very tough place to play. We know they play the Warriors on Sunday, which I actually think they have a better chance of winning than the Pelican game Friday night. I really do, because I think the Warriors could be distracted into the weekend, play the Knicks on Friday. They got the whole city, the whole weekend in the city. Either way, it's still the Warriors they're probably going to lose. And then the back-to-the-back with the Knicks on Monday. So I looked at this game going in and said, you really got to win this game. You lose this game, you're 1-3. and three. You're likely 1-5 and five going into the Knicks-Nets game. This is an important game. The Cavs are trying to figure out who they are at this point. They're still trying to figure out you know, what they are after LeBron James left. And that's the other thing. 
with the way Cleveland played tonight, and we'll get to some of the details on this game, oh my God, it makes LeBron James look amazing. I know the Lakers are off to their struggles, and LeBron missed those free throws the other night in the game against San Antonio, but this was a 50-win team. This was a playoff team. This was an NBA Finals team, and their roster is virtually the same with the exception of, oh yeah, the best player on the planet. And obviously Colin Sexton, who they just drafted, but... No offense to Colin Sexton. He's no LeBron James. And this game started off in such an ugly way. I mean, both teams really, really struggled. But the Cavs struggled a little bit more. They shot 23% from the field in the first quarter. And it felt like they missed so many layups. Because they kept getting multiple opportunities, which has been a bugaboo in the past for the Nets. The Cavs kept getting so many multiple opportunities led by Tristan Thompson. And he could never finish around the basket. And so Cleveland offensively was just completely abysmal. D'Angelo Russell got off to a quick start. Uh, this is a negative I'll get into, and I know it's tough to find a negative when you win 102-86 in a game that was stress-free from the middle of the third quarter on. And I noticed this early. Spencer Dinwiddie's been very sloppy with the basketball, which is different than a year ago. One of the real pluses of Dinwiddie is that he protects the basketball. He doesn't turn over the ball. And clearly turnover has been a problem for this team early on this season, not terribly today, but early in this game, Dinwiddie had a couple of ugly turnovers. I think he had three for the game, which is well above his average from a year ago. I mean, Dinwiddie was averaging in the mid to high ones last year. But Russell really set the tone for this team offensively. I thought what helped was all the free throws he hit. I think it was at the end of the first half when he kept going to the line. I'm with Jefferson when you talk about the close of a quarter and a half. I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. And Russell was able to get to the line five times, including one that was just a absolute non-foul. But hey, you'll take it. But it was very, very ugly. I mean, the Nets allowed 12 offensive rebounds in the first half. Six of them were by Tristan Thompson. And... You know, it was just a real slog of a basketball game. It was just very ugly. And I, and I thought for a second, boy, we may actually get one of those rare non-double 100-point performances. Uh, I had mistaken on Twitter. I guess there were two Monday night where I was distracted by the Giants' incompetence. I didn't think there had been any games yet this season in which both teams failed to hit 100 points. Uh, there were actually two on Monday, including that Boston-Orlando game, which... I actually flipped to at one point, so I'm surprised I forgot all about that. But it had that feel, and the Cavs were just completely out of sorts. I don't know what their identity is. I mean, they've got talent on this basketball team. Not NBA Finals talent. No one's going to suggest that, but Osman isn't terrible. Uh, Rodney Hood, George Hill, Kyle Korver, Jordan Clarkson, J.R., they're all solid veterans, and, you know, Kevin Love's a stat getter. That's what I always thought he was in Minnesota. They're not a bad basketball team. At least they shouldn't be a bad basketball team. But all night long, I thought two things about them. Obviously, they missed LeBron, but B, they couldn't hit a three. I mean, they were just miserable uh, in the first half of this game, really throughout the game. I don't think they ever got hot from three. They shot the basketball incredibly bad, and they missed out on a lot of opportunities from their second chances. They just couldn't put the ball in the basket. They missed, they missed so many layups in this game. And on the net side, they hit threes. You know, even when they weren't shooting the ball consistently from the field, Joe Harris has been stupid from three. 
I mean, he's been he's been ridiculous. I know it's going to even itself out at some point, but he's shooting over 50% from three. Tonight, he only missed one. He was four for five from three. Same thing for Jared Dudley, who played a very solid, underappreciated game. Forced a couple of turnovers, hit a couple of threes. So even though the Nets weren't shooting the basketball all that well either, they were at least hitting shots from downtown, and that was certainly keeping them ahead to a degree. But it ended up tied at the half. And going into halftime, I, I felt very blah about this game. I wasn't ultra confident. I, I wasn't negative. You know, I get tweets a lot from Net fans saying I'm too negative, and, and maybe I am. I don't necessarily think I was tonight. I really didn't know what to think. We're still early in the season trying to figure everything out. But what happened in the second half was magic. Oh, my God, it was magic. The Nets started in the second half of this game 11 for 12 from the field. And not only that, the Cavs never got hot. You know, you figured at some point their shots would go down. But see, the thing with Cleveland is it wasn't necessarily their shots not going down. Like I mentioned, they were missing just bunnies. And the Nets came out on fire in the third quarter. I don't know what the hell Kenny said to the guys. I have no idea because we know how the third quarter has been an issue for them in the past. But they came out and left absolutely no doubt in this game. No doubt at all. They went on that 11 out of 12 spree. They opened up a 20-point lead midway through the third quarter. And the reason why I was confident at that point was not, you can't say, well, yeah, you're confident. They're up by 20 in the third quarter. No, 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 no. I've seen too many of this. I think it was a few years ago. They had a 20-point lead in the fourth quarter in Brooklyn early in the season in the game against the Timberwolves, and they just completely melted down. I think that may have been the Garnett-Pierce year, if memory serves correct. It may have been that year. So I'm not one to get super confident just because they have a 20-point lead in the third quarter. I think a lot of it was Cleveland. I think a lot of it was me looking at them saying, I don't think they're ever going to get hot. Now, Shabazz Napier, who played in this game, hit a three to end the third quarter, and I thought that was the exclamation point on really just flexing the muscle, if you will, and leaving there to be no doubt that this was going to be an easy victory. A couple of things, positives and negatives. I mentioned Joe Harris as a positive. The guy has been shooting the basketball incredibly well. I like D'Angelo Russell. I know his uh, shooting numbers may not look all that good in the box score tomorrow morning. But I thought Russell was aggressive. I thought him and Jared Allen looked good at times on the pick and roll. I thought he was a good facilitator. He got to the basket and opened up his teammates for good looks from three. So I thought Russell played a pretty good game. Dinwiddie was ugly. I mentioned the Dinwiddie turnovers. They're going to have to really, they're going to have to cut down on the turnovers. Now, tonight, it wasn't the biggest issue. They turned the ball over 14 times tonight. Cleveland turned the ball over 15 times tonight. So it was really a wash. But as they have a step up in competition. You know, you look at the Pelicans on Friday, uh, the Warriors on Sunday. You can't be sloppy with the basketball. And I thought at times Dinwiddie was, which which is weird because that was his strength a year ago. Dinwiddie shot the basketball well today, don't get me wrong, and I still think he has a, a, a nice role on this team, but he's got to cut down on the turnovers. Alan Crabb, Look, Alan Crabb is in a situation in which he will never, ever, 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 ever play nearly as well as his contract because he's not worth his contract. You know, I I made this comment earlier this week about Nate Solder 
and, and while I think Nate Solder may be better at what he does than Alan Crabb is at what he does, what a comparison. Has anyone ever compared Nate Solder and Alan Crabb? I'm, I'm trying to do so at this moment. But Crabb, just because you pay someone a lot of money, and the Nets didn't pay him the money, even though they did, sort of, because they offered him the restricted contract. But just because you pay a guy a lot of money isn't going to change who they are. Alan Crabb is what he is. And right now, he's a guy who's just not shooting the ball well. He was 0 for 7 from the field today. Uh, he missed a couple of mid-range jumpers. He obviously missed everything he took from three. And since he's come back after that ankle injury, which I'm surprised he's back already. When he first suffered that ankle injury in the preseason, everybody listening, I, I didn't think we were going to see him for a while. And the Nets, who are just a mess with injuries. And I'll get to that in a second because I need to rip them about that. I, I know the Nets won by a million, but... Look, I still call it out. I still got to say what it is with the way they handle these injuries, like Travion Graham. But uh, Crab's not Crab's not hitting the shots right now. Uh, it was good to see Rondé Hollis-Jefferson back. He did what he does. Uh, he didn't shoot the basketball particularly well, but he had a nice game on the glass. Uh, I think Jefferson will eventually, eventually slip right back in at the four. Though Dudley... Not that I want to see Dudley play big minutes, and I'm not delusional about what Jared Dudley is, but at least tonight, maybe it's just recency bias because he did play well tonight. I don't mind when he's on the floor and he's forcing turnovers and he's drilling three and he's being a leader out there. Uh, it was a relatively quiet game for Jared Allen. He didn't get that double-double that Richard Jefferson says he should get every single night. He only blocked one shot. You almost forgot Jared Allen was on the floor at times. And his backup, the guy who will only be on the floor when Allen is not on the floor. Ed Davis was awesome. And, and I got a friend of mine who's a Nick fan. He's a real douche sometimes. But he had texted me before the season started and said, hey, you know, what do you think about the Nets this year? And I said, well, I think they're going to win 34 games. I don't think that's a, a grandiose prediction. I don't think I'm predicting them to go to the NBA Finals by any stretch. I don't think I'm being negative either. I think that's a very fair prediction and he you know obviously hates the Nets because he's a Nick fan and like I mentioned a little bit of a douche uh starts telling me oh, they're gonna win 25 games and I said 25 games why why are they gonna go backwards you know they're not gonna be as good as they were last year they had injuries last year I think they're gonna grow as a team Allen's certainly gonna be better I would think Levert's gonna certainly be better why are they going to be worse? And he had no answer, of course, because he didn't know anything about the Nets. And I made a comment about one of the reasons why I think the Nets are a better team this year is Ed Davis. Now, that was a field day for him. Oh, Ed Davis, now you're putting Ed Davis in the Hall of Fame. No, 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 no. I'm not putting Ed Davis in the Hall of Fame. But Ed Davis, for anybody that watches the Nets, for anybody, and I'm pretty sure that anybody who's how many minutes are we into this stupid thing? 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Anybody who's 10 minutes into a Brooklyn Nets, they beat the Cavs on a Wednesday night podcast, I'm assuming watches the Nets and knows about this basketball team. They know that one of their biggest issues, no, no, screw it. Their biggest issue last year is the way they got assaulted on the glass. So the Nets signed a guy and Ed Davis, who in per 36 last year for the Trailblazers, would grab 15 freaking rebounds. He is a guy that can help this team on the glass. And I think his minutes will probably be where they've been in the past in his career with Portland and before that with where else did he play? The Lakers, the Raptors. 
wherever else this man's been, but recently with the Portland Trailblazers, that he is what he is. I understand what Ed Davis is, but that's exactly what the Nets need. They need a guy like Ed Davis. And over the first four games this season, oh my God, do they need Ed Davis. And I think he's been better over the first four games than he's probably going to be overall. I mean, he was on the floor tonight for 17 minutes. He gave you a double-double. That's right. He's the only net in tonight's victory who secured a double-double. The 10 points were nice. They were mostly, most of them were cleaning it up on the offensive glass because he had six offensive rebounds and he took six shots. So uh, looking back at things, I would assume all of his shots came off of offensive rebounds. But... Not only did he do a good job of cleaning it up, he wasn't exactly Reggie Evans, who was pretty good on the offensive glass, and then he had no idea what to do with the basketball. Reggie Evans had less offensive game than me. And trust me, I was at the basketball court today with my son, who's two. I was teaching him basketball. And I have no offensive game. And I think Jed, uh, he's going to learn from me because all he wanted to do was pass. He had no interest in trying to shoot the basketball. (laughs) I showed him the hoop. I said, shoot the ball. And he's like, well, he didn't say anything. But all I wanted to do was pass. So I said, oh, it's a little Jason kid. And then I realized that I don't know if I really want to be comparing my son to Jason kid. No, no offense to Jay kid. Actually, yes, no offense to Jay kid. As a player, I want him to be Jason kid. But the point is of this long-winded story is the value of Ed Davis. Ed Davis was awesome tonight. And I love these guys. You know, I love these guys, whether it was Reggie Evans or Jamie Fike or Jason Williams or whoever else you want to come up with. You, you know who I'm talking about. Those kind of guys do the dirty work. You, know, you like that Jamie Fike reference. <laughs> he he kind of was like that, right? Those dirty work guys. And Ed Davis is one of them. And I think that this basketball team needed that. And they certainly got it tonight. I'm trying to think if I missed anybody. Oh, yeah, Shabazz. Shabazz made his net debut. Uh, I thought he played well at times. I mentioned he put the exclamation point on that ridiculous third quarter by hitting a three. He had that little altercation in which he was a little upset with Larry Nance Jr. because he thought Larry Nance was pushing him out of bounds. And I think Jefferson pretty much nailed it when he said, a eh, little bit of a little man's complex. Little guy's annoyed that here's this big six foot ten guy that's pushing him around. But I like Shabazz. I like the point guard situation on this basketball team. You know, we're still learning about D'Angelo Russell. I still feel incomplete about who D'Angelo Russell is. But like I mentioned, I liked his performance today, even though he didn't shoot the basketball well. Uh, Dinwiddie is what he is. And now you have Shabazz in the mix. I like our little point guard crew we got going on here. I missed Kurich, though. And God knows when he'll be back because, okay, so here's the thing about the Brooklyn Nets and the injuries that drive me nuts. I get why they don't want to give timetables. They don't want to give timetables because of people like me and you listening because we hear them say a guy's out two weeks, two weeks pass, and we say, where is he? And we get annoyed when that guy isn't there. But the way the Nets talk about injuries, and I want to make this clear. I think the Nets are a very competent organization. I think Sean Marks knows what he's doing. Uh, I think Kenny Atkinson knows what he's doing. I'm not sure he's a great head coach yet. Time will tell. But I like the organization. 
I do. I like where they are right now. I like where they are. I trust Sean Marks, and I don't trust general managers very often, but I think his track record of how he's tried to rebuild this team and some of the picks he's made, when you look at Karis LeVert, when you look at Jared Allen, I mean, my God, you don't expect to find stars there, and I, I really think both guys have that kind of potential. We'll see if they can become that. But the way they talk about injuries and the way they're so secretive about injuries, it really bothers me because there's just no transparency when it comes to that. And I try to be rational. I get that if you say a guy is going to be out a couple of days and then all of a sudden it turns into a month, I'm going to be ticked off about it. You're going to be ticked off about it. I would just want them to be honest about it. So there was a report the other day, not that I'm crying for Travion Graham, because the truth is, and I, and I said this in the previous Nets podcast, I don't know, I don't know enough about him. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him play enough. You know what I mean? Like Ed Davis may not have been on the Nets, but I've seen Ed Davis play. I know who Ed Davis is. I'm going to learn more about him as time goes on, sure. But I don't know enough yet about Travion Graham. And he only played two games, and in the two games he played, you know, what could I tell you? I mean, he didn't do anything. (laughs) At least offensively didn't do anything. So there's a report that he completely tore his hamstring. And I forget who had the report. Somebody had the report. Who had the report that he completely tore his hamstring? And he's going to be out for two to three months. It was actually, you know who had the report? Shams. From the athletic champs, who's pretty well respected, had the report he's been diagnosed with a you know a torn hamstring, or they think he's been diagnosed. We we believe he's ha- he has a torn hamstring. I don't want to say he's been diagnosed because that would almost mean the Nets confirmed it. They've confirmed nothing. All they've said is he has a left hamstring strain, which is a lot different than a torn hamstring. And Shams is the one who says, "Hey, he's out two to three months." Kenny Atkinson's asked about it. Not true. Every time someone says something is not true, I just assume they're going to scream fake news. I just assume that's happening. And I, and I freaking hate that phrase because something isn't fake unless it's fake. <laughs> something could be, I'm going to get into a, a diatribe about this. If something is misleading, it's not fake. If something is just unflattering and you don't like it, it's not fake. If something is even incorrect, I don't even know if it's fake. Because there could just be incorrect reporting. I, I guess my brain says fake means it was made up. And I don't believe Shams made up that he has a torn hamstring. Much like many things. I don't believe they're made up. There just may be spotty reporting every once in a while. So Atkinson's on the defense about this Graham injury. And the truth is, most Net fans are just, they're just happy that the guy hurt wasn't somebody more critical to the team's success. So I don't trust the Nets when it comes to injuries. So with Kurich, Kuritz, actually, you know what I have? I should play this for you guys. Uh, I don't know how it's going to sound because I would play it through my iPad, but Ian Eagle sent me the correct way to pronun- to pronunciate, to pronounce his name. And it's this it's this clip. Let me see if I can find it. All right, here we go. Let's see if you can hear this, everybody. I'm about to play it. Tell me if you can hear it. Rodion's Kurutz. Did you hear that? Rodion's Kurutz. <laughs> that was the coolest thing that I had said it to me, so I could learn how to pronounce his name. 
He doesn't want me completely embarrassing myself, messing up his name. But he's looked so impressive in the limited amount of time we've seen him. And obviously he's hurt. And God knows when we're going to see him. They, they downplayed it like, ah, maybe he'll play Friday. Maybe he'll play Saturday. We don't know. We'll see. So I think the jury is still out on Kuritz. Either way, good victory by the Nets. Uh, very relieved they won for the reasons I mentioned earlier because of this upcoming schedule. And we'll see if they can build off it. I think you go in now to these next two games against the Pelicans and the Warriors. And I hate to say it's house money because is it really? I mean, do you want to start the season off two and four? But clearly they're facing two teams that are better than them. Uh, I think we all agree. The Warriors are going to win the NBA championship. And the Pelicans are one of those teams that's pretty good. And if they weren't in this historic Western Conference with a team like Golden State, if the Pelicans were in the East, we're talking about them as a legitimate title contender. But here's what they have after that, and that's where it's also tricky. I mean, this is a very difficult schedule the Nets have to begin the year. I mentioned the Pelicans on Friday, the Warriors on Sunday in Brooklyn, 5 o'clock start, which is great because both the Jets and the Giants play at 1 o'clock. They got the Nick Net game Monday. I'll be in the building for that one. Home against the Pistons Wednesday. That's an important game, not only to get revenge for the loss on opening night, because listen to what they have after that. You ready? The Rockets on Friday night at home. The Sixers on Sunday night at home. And then they go on a long road trip that will take them into the middle of November. At Phoenix, winnable game, but on the road. At Denver, very tough game. At Golden State, that's a loss. At Minnesota, very tough game. And then they come back to the East Coast and play the Wizards on the road. Very tough beginning of this season. So let, let's play a game together. Let's take a look at that road trip. Five games. The three-game homestand is eight. And then the three games I just mentioned that are upcoming is 11. What is a realistic number they can do in those 11? Now, I would never do this on the air. Mike and Chris used to do this so brilliantly, the win-loss game. But what do you say we close out this podcast with a little Brooklyn Nets win-loss over the next 11 games. They're 2-2 two and two right now. Obviously, that's 11, plus the four we've already played. That's 15 games into the year. Right, let's do it. They're going to lose in New Orleans. They're going to lose against the Warriors. That's 0-2. you got to beat the Knicks. And by the way, I'm not even predicting these things. I'm just saying, you know, or maybe I am predicting them. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Just bear with me. They're going to lose to the Pelicans. They're going to lose to the Warriors. Let me write this down. Okay, so that's 0-2. That's Let's say they beat the Knicks. That's one and two. Let's say they beat the Pistons at home. That's a tough game, but win it. They're two and two. Let's say they can split the Rockets and Sixers at home. Is that fair? Now, the Sixers have their issues right now. I don't know how good they truly are. So let's, and the Rockets in Brooklyn, you know, maybe they're not paying attention. Who knows? So let's go 3-3 now, all right? At Phoenix, let's say they win that game. At Denver, let's say they lose that game. At Golden State, they lose... At Minnesota, they lose. And then, oh, they actually have a home game against the Heat. I missed that one. All right, so let's just end it there. Four and six in the next ten. Would you sign for that? Oh, I would. I would definitely sign for that. If they can go four and six, that gets them to six and eight, 14 games in. That's not bad. I think that's what you've got a gun for right now. Is it doable? It's going to be tough. And, you know, maybe they can win one of the games that I, I think they're going to lose at New Orleans, home against the Warriors, at the Warriors, at the Nuggets. 
at the Timberwolves. Maybe they steal one of those, but can they protect the games I mentioned? Beat the Knicks at the Garden, beat the Pistons in Brooklyn, and split one of the Houston-Philadelphia games, and then win, I guess, one of those road games would all be what they need to do. Uh, yeah, if they can do that, that would get them to 4-6. and six. And I think if you do that, we're feeling good about ourselves, everybody. You go 4-6, and 6-8, six, six and eight, all right, let's go. Let's see what we got. Now, I can't promise you anything, but if you are listening to this before Joe and I do our radio show on Thursday, there's a pretty good chance Richard Jefferson will join us. So for the net fans out there, you enjoyed Richard's broadcast tonight like I did. You may get to hear him with Beningo and I. And trust me, Joe will be into that interview because one thing Joe has said, and it's true, Joe, big fan of watching those Jason Kidd era Nets, actually rooted for the Nets. He's mentioned that before. So if it does happen, which I think it will, I think there's a better the 50-50 shot. RJ will join us on the Thursday midday show. Uh, Joe will be into that as well. That's it for me. I'll give you an update over the next couple of days on what I plan on doing. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to do a playoff reaction Saturday night. I like to do Saturday night podcasts if I'm not you know, on some crazy... Uh, date with my wife usually since we are a, a married couple with a son she and my son are passed out by eight or nine and then I find myself watching sports and I figure let me uh, do a podcast that night about a World Series game so I'm not sure I'm going to do that but the one thing I can guarantee is Sunday night after the WWE Evolution pay-per-view the first ever female wrestling pay-per-view I'll definitely do an instant reaction to that and along with that, I will give you my thoughts on Roman Reigns and everything that went down Monday night on Raw and the latest on Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia, which I certainly have a strong opinion about. So that podcast will probably be posted, say, 35, 45 minutes after the WWE Evolution pay-per-view Sunday night. So there you go. Thank you for listening to this Brooklyn Nets wins edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.